Now, the title of today's message is called How to Talk to Yourself. When I mentioned to my wife, Luann, she, she couldn't make it today, but when I told her that, she said, Rick, what are you preaching on? And I said, oh, how to talk to yourself. She burst out laughing. And I've got to give you a little bit of context for this. For some reason, my family thinks I talk to myself too much. And uh, she said, oh yeah, here's how you talk to yourself. You stand out in the backyard and you hold the rake in one hand and you start waving your other hand and start talking to your imaginary friends. Wow. Try to do that just in the backyard. Uh, Once in a while they've caught me in a grocery store. So, oh boy, you've got an interesting pastor here. But this morning, it's important that we learn how to talk to ourselves. And I'll explain why in a minute. Over the past few weeks, we've been talking about the essence of the gospel, the heart of the good news that God has for us. We talked about how to come, come clean with God. That was how Matthew got recruited to follow Jesus. We talked about how to get a life. Jesus came to give us life and to give us life more abundantly, life to the full. Then last week, we talked about the story of the prodigal son. Remember the two lost boys? The really uh, openly rebellious one and then the inwardly rebellious one? And we realize we're all lost, right? And God's grace is extended towards us. Well, these are great stories, but our challenge is how do we make them stick? How do we make these concepts stick? How do we make the gospel sticky? That's my big challenge as a pastor and a preacher because I don't know about you, but I can have a great experience on a Sunday morning, but then when Monday morning hits... What happens? It just evaporates into thin air. So how do we make the gospel sticky? Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The Greek word for for truth, aletheia, means both objective and subjective truth. And our life is changed when we come face to face with the objective and subjective realities and we compare our lack with Jesus' love. Redefining our reality really never changed anyone. But life change happens when the Spirit of God within us connects with the Spirit of truth in the Word of God. And what is truthful will be life-changing. So we need to change our thinking. We need to learn how to talk to ourselves. Look at this next verse. I don't know if this ever happens to you, but it happens to me all the time. The moment you wake up each morning, all your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job of the day consists in shoving them all back and listening to that other voice, taking that other point of view, letting that other, larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in. Either we're drifting off to sleep at night or we wake up in the middle of the night or we wake up you know, coming out of sleep, all these other thoughts come rushing in and we have to make a conscious decision to push them out and say, okay, God, what do you have for us today? Next. Here's an excellent quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of the premier preachers of the 20th century. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? When I read this quote, I felt so vindicated that uh, talking to yourself isn't a crazy thing. Now, once you start answering yourself, you may have other issues. But talking to yourself is very helpful. 
I want you to listen carefully to this quote. Behind every sin is a lie. We sin because we believe the lie that we are better off without God, that his rule is oppressive, that we will be free without him, that sin offers more than God. So think about this. Behind every sin is a lie. And we believe that lie, and that affects our attitude, and that influences our actions, and sets us on the wrong course. So we need to absorb God's truth, not just into our minds, but into our hearts, behaviorally. We can have all the theoretical right doctrine in our heads on a Sunday morning, but if it doesn't soak into our choices on Monday morning or Saturday night or somewhere in between, then we're off course, right? There's this great gap between theoretical truth and functional truth. Like what we say we believe and what we actually do. We can have all kinds of... This is, this is classic New Year's resolutions, right? This year, I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to lose that weight. It's really important to eat well. Uh, I don't know how those Doritos got there, but they were good. Somehow, I couldn't stop at the first one. I got depressed when I started eating the first one, and I ate the rest of the bag to make me feel better. And now I feel even worse. That's a good thing you can't relate to my eating habits. So... We need to absorb God's truth into our lives. Okay, next. Listen carefully. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn what God's, to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So we need to let God transform us into new people by changing the way we think. Well, how exactly do we do that? Next. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Martin Luther said, Uh, in in talking about temptation, you can't stop the birds of the air from flying over your head. You can't avoid temptation. But you can prevent them from building a nest in your hair. Right? So we can't prevent random thoughts flying around. But we can prevent them from literally building a nest, uh, from taking root in us, right? And we need to reject those thoughts and come back to God's truth. That's how we make the gospel sticky in our lives. Remember, friends, that God is in the transformation business. (sighs) Praise God. God is in the transformation business. I am not. I can't change myself. I can't change my spouse or my kids. Tried, didn't work. Got the t-shirt. You can't. I tried to change churches. That doesn't work. I can't change anybody. I can't even transform myself. But God can transform me. And God can transform us. As we change... And the first step, I think, in making the gospel sticky is preaching the gospel to ourselves, reminding ourselves of God's truth. Next. We need to learn how to speak the Creator's truth to ourselves so He can transform us 
into who he made us to be. Understand, we need to learn how to speak the Creator's truth to ourselves so he can transform us into who he made us to be. That's what David was doing in this psalm that we read this morning, Psalm 62. He was in a really bad state. Some commentators I read uh, said that David wrote this psalm when he was in the middle of a rebellion led by his son. He was in danger of losing everything, losing his relationship with his son Absalom, losing his kingdom. Things were not going well. And a lot of friends who had been previously loyal to David was siding with the rebel side. So his, his world was falling apart. This wasn't just some nice piece of poetry. This is heart-rending, heart-wrenching stuff from David's equivalent of a journal, his songbook that he recorded for us. I'm so glad the Bible is so gritty. It's for everyday life. It's not for nice, neat, warm, cozy, religious experiences on a Sunday morning. But it's for the Monday morning blues. It's for Saturday night temptations. It's for Wednesday, which is kind of the boring middle of the weekday. How am I going to make it to the weekend? It, it, it's so relevant. And if the Bible isn't relevant, then it's not being taught well or explained well. And uh, if it's not working for you today, come and talk to me. We'll change the presentation somehow. But this is so gritty and so real. We need to learn how to speak the Creator's truth to ourselves so He can transform us into who He made us to be. Well, let's go on and, and, and look at some of these uh, points that David is making in this psalm that we can absorb into our lives. Okay. Now, this is from a different psalm, Psalm 23. But when I was going through a serious personal crisis five or six years ago, this little mantra, if I can use this word, this little phrase is something I constantly repeated to myself. The Lord is my shepherd, I don't need a thing. That's the Rick Hill paraphrase. It's actually taken out of the message. The Lord is my shepherd, I don't need a thing. Or, next, you can translate it this way. God is all I need. Try it. Say it with me. Seriously? Are you serious? No, this isn't a test. Well, yeah, it, it is a test. And actually, you'll be tested on this tomorrow. And the day after, and the day after, and the day after. Don't blame it on me, okay? You signed up to follow Jesus. Not my fault. Let's say it again. God is all I need. Okay. Now, sometimes to let things sink in, we need to say it just a little bit slower. Because in the middle of the night, when you're wrestling with some major decision or anxiety, this is what you're going to need to remember. Okay? God is all I need. Okay? Now, we could end the sermon there, and, and, you know, you could put it on your fridge and go home, but, you know, I've got a lot of cool points, and I did a lot of work in this, so you've got to stay till the end, okay? But the essence is, God is all I need. And again, we need to learn how to speak the Creator's truth to ourselves so He can transform us into who He made us to be. All right. God is great. We do not have to be in control.
control of all of our circumstances. The, the psalmist says in uh, Psalm 62, if you're following along, the power, O God, belongs to you. God is great. How fast is the speed of light? Anybody know? 186,000 miles per second. Okay. How long does it take for light to get to the moon? About two seconds. One steamboat. Two steamboat. Boom. Lights to the moon. Okay. Now, traveling at the speed of light would take over four years for us to get to the closest star to planet Earth. Four years. Two seconds to go to the moon, four years to go to the closest star. Then about 100,000 light years to get to the next galaxy. 100,000 light years, okay? That's a lot of seconds, that's a lot of minutes, that's a lot of days, that's a lot of years. 100,000 light years. Traveling so quickly, you could get to the moon in two seconds. Traveling at that same velocity, 100,000 years to get to the next galaxy. Okay. There are approximately, they're guessing, I don't know how they count these, 100 million galaxies out there. That's a lot of galaxies. 100,000 light years to get to the closest one, then there's 100 million, it's like, what? Can you see why we sing that kid's song, he's got the whole world in his hands? You get that? Is God great? Or what? If God is all-powerful, why am I so overwhelmed by my circumstances? Because I forget. I forget to put my trust in a God who's all-powerful. So we need to affirm ourselves to ourselves that God is great. Contrary to what Richard Dawkins might say in his latest book, God is great great. Okay? Next truth we need to affirm, God is glorious. If we had any possible idea of this, what this word glory means, I've only really experienced it a few times in my life, this, this sense of the, the power and the purity of God that just thoroughgoing goodness of God. It's amazing the way he can change people from the inside out and reveal himself and love the people and just his, like a tangible presence, you can almost feel it. And it's no wonder in the Bible, whenever just an angel would show up, what's usually the first thing that the angel says to a human being? Yeah, don't be afraid. Don't freak out. Don't freak out. Now that's just an angel. That's just God, not God himself. But the, God's glory, his awesomeness. Now we're taught to fear God with awesome respect. Not to be terrified by him, but to fear and respect him, right? So he's not our butler. He's not our vending machine. He's not something I try to manipulate 
Because he's God, right? Now, think about this for a minute. Because I think the fear of God can be liberating. Because if we fear God, why should we be afraid of anybody else? Why do I worry about what my spouse thinks? Or my children think? Or my parents? Or my co-workers? Or the people I go to school with? Or my neighbors? Or anybody else for that matter? Compared to God's opinion of me, why should I worry about what anybody else thinks? Why should I fear other people? I think that we can replace the fear of people with the fear of God, whose approval really matters to us. I mean, I know your boss may be a a bully, or you may be living with a bully, but he or she is really not bigger than God. And David says in Psalm 62, in verse 7, My victory and honor come from God alone. He is my refuge, a rock where no enemy can reach me. What David is saying, you can't touch me. He's got all these people plotting his downfall. And he says, you know what? I'm with God. You can't touch me. I'm not afraid of you. Tremendous truth. So, God is great. God is glorious. Next, God is good. We don't have to look elsewhere for satisfaction in life. We don't. Because God is good. Like, He satisfies. He reminds us, yeah, this is what life's really all about. I made you, and you got to know the one who made you, right? There's this longing, that the longing in us that we sometimes misidentify as other things. It's really a longing for God. Look at this next slide. The young man who rings the bell at the brothel is unconsciously looking for God. This quote has been attributed to G.K. Chesterton, but I did a little bit of research and somebody else came up with it. But it's a brilliant quote, right? The young man who rings the bell at the brothel is unconsciously looking for God. So when men and women go online looking at pornography, whether they realize it or not, they're unconsciously looking for God. There's some kind of a longing When you get sad or angry or depressed or mad and you go to the fridge instead of going to God, you're looking for something else, right? Or we escape through shopping or TV or whatever we use to plug in to substitute things instead of God. We're really looking for a spiritual connection with God, but we're trying to fill that hole with something else. Blaise Pascal said, in every person's heart, there is a God-shaped vacuum, a hole that only God can truly satisfy. Our problem is, of course, we try to fill it with all other kinds of other stuff, right? And that gets us into serious trouble. Jesus promises us a living water that won't leave us thirsty again. And he says in Psalm 62, verse 5, Let all that I am wait quietly before God because my hope is in Him. I don't need to go online. I don't need to go to the fridge. I don't need to do whatever my rut is, whatever my dependency is. I don't because God is good. 
But if we believe that lie that God can't supply our needs, God, God can't meet us, that God is not good, then we go looking elsewhere, right? The fourth truth that David affirms in this psalm is God is gracious. We do not have to prove ourselves to anyone else. Unfailing love, O Lord, is yours. Psalm 62, verse 12. Now think about this. God is gracious. We talked about that last week, right? Amazing story. Uh, the, 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 the loving father runs out after two rebellious boys. And Jesus tells that story to, to illustrate how gracious our God is. So I won't go into all the details of that story. Listen to the uh, recording from last week if you want. Without grace, we see life as a contract between us and God. We do good stuff. We do good works. We fill out our time card. We punch a clock at church. We show up. We might join a committee if we're really committed. We do stuff for God. And in return, he's supposed to bless us. We behave, he blesses, right? That's what legalism says. Grace says, God changes us from the inside out. And we want, we want to bless and serve him and serve others. We do it out of a wellspring of life, out of this artesian well of grace, just overflowing and overflowing and overflowing. We just can't help ourselves because God has changed us from the inside. Grace is not about performance, is it? So our response to temptation, a legalist would say, when confronted with, I wonder if I should really click on that website. Legalism says, I must not do this. And grace says, I don't have to do this because God's bigger than that. And he's bigger than my problem. And God is better than that. You understand? Legalism says, you must not. And it really doesn't help you dealing with sin problems, pervasive sin problems. But grace, receiving God's unconditional love, no strings attached. It's crazy. You won't find it anywhere else on the planet. But grace says, I don't have to click on that website. Because I've got something better. God is bigger and better than my cravings. God is bigger and better than my sin. God is bigger and better than my selfishness and my needs. God is bigger and better than anything. <laughs> Justine is not here. I don't know if she's ever sent the, the, the youth out on a bigger and better hunt. I did that as a youth pastor. It's fun. You, you start, you give a bunch of kids a penny. And they go around the neighborhood saying, hey, what have you got that's bigger and better? It's amazing the things that you come back with. Literally, the kitchen thing, sink and a, and a few other things. It was a lot of fun. Take notes. You might want to use it sometime. God is bigger and better than anything that we could imagine. So we need to learn how to speak the Creator's truth to ourselves so He can transform us into who He made us to be. So look over when you get home. Look over Psalm 62 again and underline all the affirmations that are made about God. 
Put them up in your fridge. Put them up, I don't know, wherever, wherever you see them and remind yourself of these truths about God. Because as we talk to ourselves, as we learn how to talk to ourselves and speak the Creator's truth to ourselves, He will begin to transform us into who He made us to be. How freeing. How freeing. I don't have to do that. I don't want to do that. Because God is bigger and better. Let's repeat these few affirmations. Next slide before we go. Let's, let's stand up because you got to get this into your... We need to get this into our brain cells, okay? And if, uh, if you want to jot these down before you go, we'll leave this up on the screen for a little bit. First of all, with me, God is great. God is glorious. God is good. God is gracious. One more time. God is great. God is glorious. God is good. God is gracious. Thank you. I thought you were saying grace. Sit down for a minute, please. Now jot these down, okay? I'm not going to tell you to do it. I'm going to encourage you to do it. Jot these down. Take these home and think about them. And now I'm going to ask Jesus to cement them into our consciousness so he can allow these to percolate and begin to change our thinking. Because we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Okay? We need to allow the power of God. This is the word of the Lord. Amen? Try that again. This is the word of the Lord. Amen? amen. Okay, amen. And it's not, not because Rick says it, because it's in the Bible. Okay? It's the word of the Lord. So the power of the word of God connects with the power of the Holy Spirit in us. And it begins that transformation. It helps us make good choices in life, godly choices that are life-giving, life-affirming, and just life. Because God is bigger and better than anything you could imagine. Now, to all those skeptics out there saying, well, I can't wait till Rick goes. I wonder who's going to win the Grey Cup or that other good NFL game. To all the skeptics out there, I dare you. I dare you to try this. I double-dog dare you to try it. Try God and see if He is not bigger and better than anything you could imagine. You won't be disappointed. Want to talk about some details and how to implement it? Then give me a call or let's have a coffee or something like that. But, but try it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to be and we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We recognize that there's so much junk out there for us to be distracted by in our society. We know that the enemy of our souls is always trying to lure us off track. Father, we are sick and tired of being sick and tired. We are hungry for you. So I pray in the name of Jesus that you would begin to transform us by the renewing of our minds and help us to remind ourselves that you are great, that you alone 
are good and gracious. Oh, Father, we just praise you and bless you for this. I pray that your spirit would go with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you.